0: How do you maximize performance with your sales force? My name is Anthony Garcia, and I am the host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Join me every week as we discuss topics such as performance or improving retention. And we do so by interviewing some of the top sales professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. Now, let's enjoy the show. All right, I am extremely excited about our guest on today's show. Our guest on today's show was featured in my recent book, Catapulting Commissions. If you've had a chance to pick up a copy, you probably know who I'm talking about. Lauren Gibbs is an Olympic medalist. She just won the silver medal recently in 2018 in the most recent Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, Korea, or South Korea. Lauren Gibbs is also a multi-time national champion in the sport of bobsledding. And not only is she a phenomenal athlete, but she is a phenomenal salesperson. Lauren Gibbs is somebody who has climbed the ranks or had climbed the ranks in corporate America, becoming an area vice president, overseeing a large sales organization, relocating and building a ginormous sales team and a following. And she felt a calling to move from sales to her passion of pursuing her dream of becoming an Olympic medalist. In today's show we talk a little bit about how Lauren made that transition. And then we also talk about the key takeaways for today's show. And I think there's some really value in learning what skills Lauren had as a sales rep and as a sales leader and how those transferred into her role as becoming a breakwoman for Team USA. Lauren has consistently crushed Ceilings. She's a sought-after keynote speaker. Often her schedule is booked non-season from organizations that want to hear her drive and her message on how to achieve a goal you set for yourself when you refuse to accept anything less than success. You can catch her most recent TED Talk, and I'll include that in the show notes, but it's Lauren Gibbs from Boardroom. To bobsled, the courage to become an Olympian. It's recently posted on TEDx, it's on YouTube. Again, I'll put that link in the show notes. If you ever want to get any information on Lauren Gibbs, you can catch her at her website at laurengibbs.club. Again, that's laurengibbs.club. And you can find her on any social media, LAgibbs84. Now, let's talk with Lauren. Welcome to the Catapulting Commission show. I'm extremely excited at who our guest is today, this is our inaugural guest to kick off our interview series. Lauren Gibbs is a 2018 U.S. Olympic medalist in the sport of bobsled. The reason I have a bobsledder on the and Commission's podcast is Lauren, in her previous career, was a top-performing sales professional at the individual level, at the team management level, and she's taken a lot of those skill sets that she developed in sales And I'm curious to see how that transpired into her ethic and created her to be an Olympic athlete. So without further ado, welcome Lauren Gibbs. Hey, Anthony. Hey, Lauren. I believe as of today, it's over 15 World Cup medals, one Olympic medal, pretty successful career. How does someone get into bobsledding?
1: I tried as a joke. I had no intention of actually bobsledding because when I heard about the sport, I was 30 years old, was living in Denver was an area sales manager for a Fortune 500 company, was managing 200 managers and representatives in five different states. And my friend said, you should try out for bobsled. And I thought, that sounds funny. It'll be a good story to tell at work on Monday. So I'll head down to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs and, and give it a try. Because really, I just wanted to tour the training center, buy a t-shirt, see if I could run into a few Olympians, and then that be it. And over the next couple months and that was in 2014 over the next couple months it was a series of oh I got invited to this step I'll, I'll try it out because that sounds cool I, invite, I got invited to the next step tried it out and the next thing you know I was putting a helmet on sitting at the top of a uh, bobsled track getting ready to go down in my first bobsled with now three-time Olympic medalist Alana Myers-Taylor who I eventually ended up racing with in the 2018 Olympics.
0: Awesome so let me get this right what you just said was you went to the Olympic training center with the hope to get an Olympic uh, US Olympic training center t-shirt. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, you leave, you get in, invited to a combine or was that the combine at the training that
1: center? That was the
0: combine, yeah. So, so you go to a combine at a training center. You think you're going to have some fun. You do well. What was the ultimate deciding factor for saying, "Okay, we're going to talk about the sales career." I mean, you had 200 direct reports, you're managing the managers. That that is what my audience is interested in. But I think everybody in general this is, you know, my definition of of bobsledding is the Disney movie I saw as a kid. So what was your deciding factor to say, okay, hey, I'm going to stop this portion of my career and I'm going to go to this portion of my career. What was the ultimate, yeah, the ultimate deciding factor for you to make that transition?
1: Opportunity. Is that simple? You know, at that point, I had an undergraduate degree from a top level university. I had an executive MBA from another top level university. I had 10 plus years of sales and sales management experience, but I was 30. So the amount of time that I could put into an elite athlete career was going to be very small compared to the time that I could spend post athletics getting back into sales management and business. So I figured if the opportunity was there, take it. If it worked out, great. If not, Then
0: at least I knew. And so you took your shot. Essentially, I'm gonna take my shot. If I hit it, great. If I don't hit it, I mean, you are a professional salesperson, and you felt confident you can fall back somewhere else. Fair enough.
1: Parachute in a in a what
0: is it? A parachute in a sample kit. Parachute in a sample kit. Let's talk about that, Lauren. I'm glad you bring that up. So you talked about 10 years of sales, sales management, 200 direct reports. How did you get started in sales? And what did you learn in your early sales career that essentially set the foundation for who you were as a professional to eventually to who you were as an Olympian? I'm a big believer that the foundation of who we started is the least publicized, right? You, yeah. you know, if, I, if I go look up Lauren Gibbs, I could find your TED Talk. I could find your, your silver medal run. I could find a lot of accolades. But I can't find where you started. Let's talk about how you started. What got you into sales? How did that happen? What did that look like for you?
1: And I think it's funny because... I, um, this is a side note. I hate watching sports. Uh-huh. I don't watch, like, I don't watch basketball games generally or football games or, but I love watching sports documentaries Okay. because the game is, the work's already been done and now it's just seeing who, who shows up. But I really like the, the backstory and the work that goes into becoming great. So it's funny that you asked that. Yeah. So I started like you selling knives for a couple <laughs> cutlery. That's how we met. Uh I got a letter in the mail and I was going to be home before I went to college my freshman year to play volleyball for five weeks. I did one other interview at J. Crew. It was a group interview. They didn't give me the time of day. And I got this letter in the mail. I didn't really understand what I was signing up for, but they told me how much money I could make. And that was that. And in five weeks, I made $5,000 and at 18 years old, and even now... That's a lot of money.
0: That is a lot of money.
1: And that was it. I was hooked. I was like, okay, so the more I put into this, the more money I make, and the more financial freedom I have. That makes sense to me.
0: So let me get this straight. 18 years old, five weeks. You earn five thousand dollars. You're absolutely right. Thousand dollars a week for an 18 year old. A lot of money. You earned this by selling kitchen cutlery, which was Cutco cutlery, through in home presentations selling kitchen knives asking people to buy a product. At that point, were you efficient in kitchen knives? Were you cooking? Did you know the quality of the product you had other than what you learned in training? I'm talking about right before you started this. No,
1: man. And they're were like, you. they like, these sets of knives are $800. And I'm like, ain't no one gonna buy $800 sets of knives. <laughs> I wish the knives were still $800. Yeah, I was about to
0: say, I don't think they're that much. I think they're, they,
1: they cost a lot more yeah, now. They're over they're, a grand. Yeah. So no. And in fact, I was one of those uh, know-it-all private school preppy kids who was like, I know this better than they do. I'm not going to listen to my manager. I'm going to do it my way. And I still did well. Okay. It's crazy. It's a good product.
0: So you, you leave one summer. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You came back for a second serving your following summer after college, yeah. right? So you were hooked on the money. Oh, during college. Oh, you sold during, during college. college. Okay, mm-hmm. so you were hooked on making money. you you fell in love with the, this idea of being a professor or starting a sales career. At that point in time, did you know that sales was the career you were gonna take after college, or was this still a hey, I'm gonna figure out what I'm doing while I'm going to school?
1: Yes and no. i was I was equally terrified and attracted to that uh, anxiety you get okay. by being in sales. I was excited by it because I really liked the idea of setting my own schedule and being in control of my own paycheck and being in control of just every part of my day and and such. But at the same time, there was that anxiety of at the beginning of every month, am I that good? Can I continue to be good? And how do I take it to the next level? So it was like for someone who didn't plan to go into sports past college, it was like, it became my new sport, I guess. It became okay. my new adrenaline rush. So initially, yes, I knew I was going to venture into sales in the professional world to really test to see if I was actually good at sales, leadership, management, that kind of stuff. But I didn't have a idea as to how far it would go and how long it would last.
0: Wow. So... A natural talent, the the competitive edge, the competitiveness of sales is is what sucked you in, and I think that for my audience and people that are familiar with Cutco, you you are one of the all time greats to walk through that door. Uh, you manage the sales team, and and your name, you know, your name still sparks interest in in the community of Los Angeles when it comes to Cutco sales. So kudos to you. But let's talk about the next step in your career. So you go through Cutco, you start as an individual contributor, you open up a district office, you build a sales team. You get the foundation you want, but then you move into "quote unquote" corporate America, where it is the corporate oh. sales, right? So I mean, it's the it's the adult sales. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna gonna be a professional contributor. Big and, girl sales, yeah. Put your big girl pants on, for lack of better words. And then you have a team of essentially 200 direct reports. You're managing the managers. You you you're feeling successful. You relocate across the country, right? How did what you learn as a kid in college? What was those, what was the one or two things you took from there that helped build your credit, you know, essentially build the foundation for a strong sales team, a strong pipeline. I mean, I looked at your accolades, you had a strong, successful sales career. What's the one or two things that you took from learning individual sales at Cutco to big girl sales in corporate America? And and then we'll go from there.
1: I would say to care for people. Okay. Uh people first, always. And to do it with your team not to tell your team to do it.
0: So tell me more about that. What do you mean do it with your team and not tell your team? Because the two things I'm hearing there are you care for your people and do it with your team not telling your team. What does that mean? Elaborate.
1: I mean it's just it's really easy to sit behind a desk and tell somebody that it's just easy to do something. And I think one of the biggest mistakes in my opinion that managers make is once they've reached whatever level they're trying to reach, they forget how difficult and complex and energy sucking in the best way possible, but sometimes not in the best way possible, the people that the job that the people that work for them have. And I think a lot of really intelligent people are afraid to fail. And so if they do it their own way and it doesn't work then they can make excuses. If they do it your way and it doesn't work, then they've truly failed because other people are doing it your way and it's working. So the best way to get, build confidence in whatever it is you're preaching, whatever your secret sauce is, Mm -hmm. is to do it in front of them and have them watch you do it and then have them do it. And you watch them do it. What is it? Uh, teach one, do one, watch one or something like that. Right. Yeah.
0: So, Let's just use an analogy. People get into sales management, and I've been in corporate America where I've been an individual contributor. I have a manager, and I always make the analogy, you know, when I was an individual contributor, my manager sits in this ivory tower, right? They sit behind a desk, they send Excel reports. yeah what what do they do all day? They're what is a, what does sales managers do all day, right? And so they they get this ivory tower approach where I'm just gonna shoot you email reports. I'm gonna shoot you excel. we're gonna we're gonna have a conference call. And I'm gonna tell you, hey, what I need from you, and then you know, send you occasional motivational insights and, and that's sales management 101, right? What you're saying is you get down with the people. So I'm assuming in one of those things that you, that you learn or that you're talking about is, if your people struggled, were you the answer? Where hey, I'm gonna come show you, I'm gonna come watch you, I'm gonna come do it for you. Where did you decide, hey, I'm gonna sell your product, I'm gonna teach you how to sell versus I'm gonna observe you sell and I'm gonna let you fail, but not fail all the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna right. hold you.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, if my people failed, that was a hundred percent on me. Okay. Because at the end of the day, I was hired to help them be successful. At the end of the day, I was hired to help them feed their families, to help them live their dreams, to help them pay their bills. And if they're not able to do that, then I'm not doing my job. And I think it's funny when sales managers would get upset at their people for not doing things correctly. Because my thought was, if they did everything right the first time and all the time, then what are they paying me for? Very true. I always called that job security. So yeah, it, it is important to show. It is important to allow people to fail. And it is important to help and correct. And that's that, that balance, right? Like, how do you jump in? When do you jump in? I, sometimes I think you can learn the most from a quote-unquote failure And I think it's really only a failure if something doesn't go well and you don't learn anything from it, then it's a true failure. But if you don't make a sale, because there's plenty of sales I haven't made, and some of them, you know, like stick in your head, like, oh, I really that up. And I can still think of ones. And even with Cutco, there's probably only a handful of people that ever returned their orders. And I called every single one to find out what I did wrong. And so I really think it's important to let people venture off and do their thing. Because if you always, as a manager, if you're always jumping in when they're not doing it right, then they're going to change just for you. And then when you're not there, they're going to go back to doing it however the heck they usually do it. Right. But if you jump down their throat every time they do it a different way their way, they're never going to come to you. So that's what I mean by caring for people is you have to be approachable and they have to know that the reason that you're either having a tough conversation or the reason you're going out with them or the reason that you're giving them corrective action isn't because you don't like them as a person. It's not personal. You just want more for them. You're trying to help them get out of their own way.
0: I, I think that's really, really great insight. I mean, the, the approach for people, right? It's, it's, it's the acronym that's not popular with certain organizations or on Wall Street. POP, people over profits, right? Mm-hmm. If you put your people first, the profits are always going to grow. Oh, but sometimes, sometimes the stress and the demands, right, your, your P&L statement, if you're for a publicly traded company, the investors, I mean, it is all profit. So we, we draw a fine line there. And as you're saying this, I want to talk a little bit about you managed managers, right? So you had a team that was managing people. Now, according to the U.S. Labor Board in 2018, Lauren, 34% of sales professionals turned over in their first two years. So think about that for a second. The resources it takes, you hire, you train, 34% turnover in the first two years, it gets worse. If they're a millennial, quote unquote, <laughs> in the millennial range- You and me. That's right. We are both millennials. 51% of millennials that are sales professionals interview for another company within the first two years on the job. So that means, and and the millennial sales force, quote unquote, is starting to become the dominant. So that means for a, a hiring manager- or an organization, if I have a team of 20 people, 100 people that report to me, and these are millennials, 51 of my people have interviewed with somebody else in the past two years, and 34 of them within the first two years are going to quit, the expense for turnover in sales is astronomically high. What, if you were in that role, what, what can we do as sales leaders or sales managers, or sales motivators, whatever the title wants to be, what can we do to combat that?
1: I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a professional on, on millennials, but if, if you just think about who we are, is we're, we're naturally curious people. And for me, it's personally, it's really hard for me to continue doing something if I don't see value in it, or the ability to better myself, or others, and or both and i was thinking about it today because i knew we were going to have this conversation and i think people ask a lot like what do you what do you like to do and all that and you know how do you go from corporate to bobsled and give the same amount of effort if not more and i realized i like being good at things and honestly i like being the best at things and i'm curious i am genuinely curious about what it takes to push a bobsled 100th faster, 200th faster, more specifically, seven or eight hundredths faster. That's the amount of time that we lost a gold medal by. And so that curiosity to be the best and how to become the best at something is what brought me back after the Olympics. And I don't make any money. Okay. Uh, I live below the poverty line. I live, I'm a 35 year old who either spends times in random Eastern European hotel rooms in a twin bed or in a dorm style room at a training center. I don't have a car. I don't have a, a traditional full-time job. And yeah, but, but I, I am more happy now than I was before because I found something and I found people who helped me strive towards greatness And can teach me things and can pique that curiosity and that interest. And I found a different way to give back to the world because I'll tell you right now, I don't sit around looking at my Olympic medal. Half the time it's not with me, it's in the other room. But when someone finds out that you went to the Olympic for the United States of America, the smile and the joy that they get in sharing that story with you, and the, the number of people who are like, oh, I watched that event. I'm pretty sure I watched you win your medal. That's the coolest thing in the world. And so the ability to bring joy to others and my curiosity on what it takes to be the best in the world at something is what's kept me at a job that basically makes no money. So you're telling me you can't flash a six-figure job and keep it an, a millennial's interest? Check, your, check yourself, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's, it starts at the top. You described, and, and as you described it, I got chills, right? The passion you describe about your transition to something you love, bobsledding, perfection, skills. And I say this because I've known you for years. You've had that desire in every industry you in. You never said, hey, I want to go work in corporate America to be the worst sales manager. <laughs> I, hey guys, someone has to take last place. I'm going to volunteer. That wasn't how you approached it, right? So <laughs> no, is it possible, one, to install that drive and hunger in other areas of your life to people who you mentor, because that right now, you know, and, and we've talked about this, right? you, you're, you are becoming a mentor or an icon for young athletes, for young professionals, for young women athletes. I, my daughter watches you on Compete, and we talk about, you know what it takes to, to achieve that greatness. How do you install that in a 28-year-old sales professional? Who's trying to figure out what's gonna happen? Is it possible? One. And if so, how do we do it?
1: Yeah, I definitely think you instill that in people. I think it's important to get to know the person and find out what makes them tick. Right. My coaches, I think, accidentally have found what makes me tick. And it's I never think I'm good enough. And not in a woe is me. It's just I always wanna be better. Okay. And so they kind of they they kind of jab at me a little bit, like, well, if you'd push faster, and I'm like, yeah, you're freaking right. I should have pushed faster. And you know, today was one of those days where everything hurt. My warm up hurt. Sitting hurts. Sitting right now hurts. My you know my adductors, my glutes, my knees. Everything feels crap. But you know what? What I was thinking about today was, am I going to regret? Now giving all of this workout at the 2022 Olympics when it's the fourth run at the Olympics and I'm going for gold again. I'm gonna really wish I'd really worked harder, you know, in my in my training. And so you gotta just figure out for a manager, you gotta figure out what excites somebody, what sets their soul on fire, right? Like for my TED Talk, what keeps people up at night and gets them out of bed in the morning. And I think people get stuck assuming. They assume because the person took a sales job that it's all about money. And if I flash commission uh, checks at you and I show you what other people are making, then it's just automatically fire you up. But that's not the case. So I think the best way to instill that work ethic in other people is to find out what matters to that person, what makes them tick, and what they're hoping to get out of this job. Just have an honest conversation like, you know, this may not be the job that you're in forever. But while you're here, you're gonna get as much out of this as humanly possible. Cause that's always been my goal. The last corporate job I had, I didn't love, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot and I made every day count. So if they're not gonna be, if they're if they're there for a good time, but not a long time, how can you impact them in a positive manner? But that they always talk about that that one manager I had at that one job that I wasn't there for very long, but man, did that guy or gal change my life?
0: I mean that that is is insightful very profound. I think that that's a conversation that in sales leadership people don't have enough. People don't want to acknowledge and saying, "Hey, you're not going to be with me forever, right? But while you're here, how can I get the most out of you? What can I do to provide value to you? And in doing so, here's what I need you to do for me so we can work together as a team." I think it's 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 a common common mistake, right? And 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 I know I made it when I was a new hiring manager, and I'm assuming you did. I hired somebody I'm like, dude, they're going to be with me forever. Like, we're going to grow old together. We're going to have retirement oh, parties together. This is
1: going to be my top right. Yeah. They didn't it, show up to
0: training. Yeah. It, it, it <laughs> doesn't always work out that way, right? So no. I, I think that's a great conversation that, that you know, one of the nuggets that I'm pulling from today is, is I think it's important for us to acknowledge what's our time frame. you know. And if you don't know the time frame that we're going to be together, that's great but let's make the most of the time we have now. And I know in times when I've had that conversation or similar, I've lifted weight off people's shoulders. I'm saying, hey, look, dude, I know you're gonna be with me for the next two or three years and I know your plan is to relocate, get married or do something different. I'm excited, but you know what? My plan while you're here is to get you the most you can before you get there. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode for a second. I hope you're enjoying what you've heard thus far. Are you a sales professional? Or do you manage a team of sales professionals? I imagine you know someone who struggles with complacency. I'm talking about the sales rep who has all the tools to be a top performer, but just can't seem to get past the mental hurdle that is holding them back. I completely understand and I relate with you. That is why I've created a detailed approach on how to get out of this stage of complacency and put yourself in position to achieve your next sales goal. Be sure to visit my website, catapultingcommissions.com Once there, you can find the link to pick up a copy of my international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions. Now, let's get back to our show. So, let's transition here a second. You talked about your TED Talk, right? And your TED Talk, From Boardroom to Bobsled is by far one of my favorite TED Talks that is out on the market right now. And I think
1: you're biased, but I appreciate it.
0: I, I, you know what? I might be a little biased. And I, and I will even go further and say, you know, Lauren is one of my favorite keynote speakers that you've not heard of yet. Some large organizations have pulled Lauren in to train and teach some of her philosophies to the sales force. So I'm biased on your TED Talk, but I can't be biased on the numbers and the, the companies that are looking after you. Here's what my favorite part of your TED Talk is. Things Lauren learned from the back of a bobsled. <laughs> Not everybody, and I would, I would argue that anybody from my audience isn't going to relate to this. And if they do, it's because they heard about this from your audience in your bobsled community. So the things less you've learned from the back of the bobsled, you shared on your TED Talk, prioritize what matters, ask for help, and focus on what you can control. I'm extremely ecstatic to or extremely excited to discuss all three of them but the one that pulls to me here is asking for help uh-huh. i've always been brought up where asking for help it's a sign of weakness uh-huh. it's really uncomfortable to call and say hey i'm i'm uncomfortable or i'm uncertain i need to ask for help so let's talk about it a little bit do you still ask for help right now in the sport of bobsledding and can you give us some examples of when you asked for help when you were in sales management?
1: Yeah, I mean, I asked for help all the time. This is year six for me in bobsled. Okay. And I wish I knew how many runs i would taken. But essentially, I can only practice my true job five seconds at a time. And at the Olympics, my job was all of 20 seconds long.
0: Is that how long the push is down the bobsled?
1: Yeah, it's about five seconds
0: per push, a little bit longer. Wait, you trained years. Yep. To compete for in the twenty seconds. To compete in the Olympics for a portion that you control for less than twenty seconds.
1: Yeah. So no, I can control twenty seconds of it. The other three minutes and however many seconds, I'm just sitting down.
0: You're long for the ride. Yep. That is that is insightful alone as far as the level of commitment. You know, you put in perspective twenty seconds. I mean. We four went, years yeah.
1: for four minutes is what I was coining it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. All right, so let's go back. Ask for help. How do you ask for help? You know, what, what, who do you look for from help? Because so that's really important. Because you know, I, I don't know if you if you recall, but I, I, Jim Rohn once said, right? You can't motivate an idiot because at the end you still have just a motivated idiot, right? <laughs> I think about asking for help. Right. There's this is the day and age social media makes it easy to ask for help from yeah. anybody, yeah. from everybody. Yeah. Right. And sometimes you get help, you get advice unsolicited. Mm-hmm. People's intentions may be well, but it's actually more detrimental than helpful. So, mm-hmm. how do you ask for help? Who do you go ask for help for? And what's your objectives when you're when you're when you're uh, when you're approaching somebody?
1: So I take a sales approach. I widen that funnel and okay. I ask anybody where it makes sense to ask for help. So whether it's a sprint coach, there's a there's a multis coach, which he coaches heptathletes in Chula Vista. I have him look at my push video. I ask other bobsledders. I ask different bobsled coaches. I ask teammates. I work a lot with rookies. Rookie bobsledders teach me a lot too because sometimes it's something simple that I forgot to do, but I know to do it intrinsically because I tell others to do it, but I've been doing it so long, quote unquote, so long that I've lost touch of the basics. So I ask a lot of people and It's it's different for everybody because I'm one of those people who likes a lot of information, but I'm also really good at filtering out information because you can't try everything all at the same time, but you can jot it down and keep it in your backlog because some of the things or some of some of the advice you're going to get you're not ready for, and so you know, for me there's there's a few different parts of what I do right. I hit the bobsled and then there's an Excel phase and then there's a upright phase and then there's a load. So we'll call it four different phases. And if I'm not doing the hit properly it's going to screw up the load because I'm going to be in a bad position. So maybe this piece of advice on my load would work if my hit was correct. Right. So for me, it's just, I take in a lot of information. And then when it comes to performance or race day, you just have to be an athlete, you know, clear your mind and just let your body take over. And that's the same with, with sales, right? You get different, Advice on intonation, questions you can ask, the type of questions, how many questions, listening, active listening. But at the end of the day, you know, whatever your model sales call is, that's what you that's your go to on game day, which is in front of a customer.
0: Awesome. I think that's it makes total sense. And I also think it's super exciting that you said you asked the new bobsledders for help. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. What do you mean they don't know you're asking them for help?
1: Because I'm just, I'm like looking over their video. They're asking me for help. And then looking over their video and coaching them, I'm like, I need to do that again. I need to push with both feet off the block before I take my first step. But it's little things that are very basic that you forget to do and you forget to emphasize and you forget to focus on as you get further along down the path. It's kind of like, oh, you know, I always start my sales call with this question. And for the past 10 appointments, I keep forgetting that question. And when I get to the end, it doesn't line up, and the customer's not in the right headspace, and we haven't gone down the, the journey that leads me to making whatever sale or you know whatever have you I'm used to well
0: i th- I think that brings up a really good point lauren you're You're saying that you're asking the newer people without really asking them you're you're taking a a development approach right you're you're mm-hmm. helping them develop, you're helping coaching them. Mm-hmm. But what I hear is is you're a student of mm-hmm. your craft still, and stick tears in bobsledding. And it sounds like you're taking the same approach with the same intensity as it was six years ago. I believe in knowing you, you took that same approach in sales. Everything was, I'm going to perfect my skill set of salesmanship. I'm going to perfect my skill set of bobsledding. And that goes to one of the points you talked about and things we learned from Lauren's life in the back of a bobsled, (laughs) right? Focus on what you can control. What are the things that a because this 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 episode someone's listening to this episode and i assure you someone's listening right now and they're like okay i I peaked interest kind of know a little bit about anthony olympic bobsledder former top performing sales professional sales leader you know this is great i'm not gonna bobsled (laughs) but but you know i have a mortgage i have a family i'm stuck in this area of complacency and I want to be able to, to control my destiny for lack of better. So I want to improve my sales outcome. What are the few things that people can control for the desired outcomes they want in life? Whether it is sales, whether it's bobsledding, whether it's boxing, you know, whether it's CrossFit, whatever the scenarios are, what is the the, the things that they can control regardless of the, the sport or activity or, or, or job?
1: I would say it's all the little things that are seemingly innocuous or don't matter, like going to bed early enough, getting enough sleep. It's uh, getting yourself on a schedule, eating better, staying hydrated. And people are probably listening to this like, why is this this 35-year-old athlete, ex-salesperson telling me to stay hydrated? Because it matters. Because if you're tired at work and you're in a bad mood, it multiplies, right? So it goes into how you interact with your install manager or how you interact with your manager or you how you interact with your assistant or how you interact with a customer when a customer hits you with you know an objection that normally you could just handle easily but you're in a bad mood and you're over it because you went to bed too late you got up late you're rushing you spilled coffee on yourself now you're just like you know screw it I'm over you and it all matters so that that's what I would say is the little things matter every little piece matters so You can control control the things you control. You control your attitude. You can control how do you respond to adversity. You can control getting to work early and being prepared and studying before you go in to see whatever next client. You can control doing some research on your next potential customer. You can control all those things before you start pointing fingers at everybody else for your missteps or failings.
0: Dude, that that is super insightful. I I'm, I'm glad you elaborated on, on what you can control and uh, I will have my daughter to listen to that because I I talk with her about controlling what she can control.
1: She's smarter than both of us. That's she, the problem.
0: She she is smarter <laughs> than both of us. So that <laughs> is bad. A, that I'm is scared. A, that is a bad issue, right? <laughs> bad. All right, Lauren. Well, let's uh let, let's wrap this thing up here, all right So end of the day in bobsledding, what's the one one sentence answer? What has to happen for you to say today was a productive day in training?
1: I got up and gave it my all
0: so by giving it your all, hundred percent committee are there days you don't give it your all?
1: but like really, really giving it my all like today was one of those days where I felt like crap, and I could have shorted my warm up and rushed through my workout um, and been on my phone, but I put my phone aside, I really focused on my warm up, really focused on you know just releasing things that were tight and then I took it one rep at a time. So I had maybe six sprints. And I just focused on that one sprint. And then as soon as I was done with that sprint, relaxed the mind until it was time for the next one so that I could really give my all in every workout. I try not to do workouts now without intent. In fact, I have this bracelet. It's uh, from myintent.org. It was a, an exercise we did with my team at Team Camp. And mine just says intent. So everything I do, whether I'm having a conversation with somebody, whether I'm giving someone advice, whether I'm working out, I do it with intent. Because I love the saying, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how how you made them feel. And so I want to make sure that any any situation I go into, I'm doing it with utmost integrity, respect for myself, for the people around me. And when I say for the people around me, At the end of the day, as a U.S. Olympian, that's my country. So when I step on that block in China in 2022, I want the entire country to know that I did everything humanly possible to be the very best on those two days for the entire nation.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Lauren, that is insightful in so many ways. Intent, I promise you, you have a country of people supporting you as as you make this bid to go to the uh, 2022 Olympics. I will be there again. Hopefully, it's not, as, hopefully it's not as cold as <laughs> Pyongyang, Korea, but I will be there. I, I, will, I will bring my girls. I will bring my family. We are going to fully support. It's, it's on our calendar. So before, you, before it's even announced, we're, we're already committed to being there. I want to say one thank you for joining the Catapulting Commissions podcast. You, this is our inaugural interview show. So you, you are the, our first guest here. We already know 2022 Olympics is next for you. If somebody is interested in getting a hold of you, wanting to know what the options are for your delivering a keynote speech, how do they get a hold of you? How do they connect with you? And I will also, just just so you know, I will connect the TED Talk from the boardroom to bobsled on the show notes. So if whatever method you're listening to the show or if you're watching the audio on YouTube or watching the video on YouTube, you'll see the link below for her TEDx Talk. But how does someone get a hold of you? And and how do we we provide support and say well wishes?
1: Two ways. For those social media lights then uh la gibbs 84 on instagram but for those who don't have social media you can shoot me an email at lauren a. Gibbs at gmail.com
0: lauren a gibbs at gmail la gibbs 84 well wow. lauren gibbs 2018 silver medalist thank you for being on the catapulting commission show it's a pleasure to have you here can I get you back on the show again in the future?
1: Anytime.
0: All right, because you know, I just I want to I want to put this in, out of the public. In 2022, when you win a gold medal, you, you have to come back. I'll come back. All right. Well, Lauren, thanks for being with us today, and we will touch base with you in in the future. And we wish you the best.
1: Thank you for having me. All
0: righty. Well. That does it for today's episode on Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. If you found some value in today's show, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a 5-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe to Catapulting Commissions. That way you get notified of new episodes every week. Lastly, please take a screenshot of today's show and share it on Instagram. Every week I'll be giving away a signed copy of my best-selling book to one person who tags me at Anthony p garcia 99 and includes the hashtag catapulting commissions thank you for your time and i look forward to helping you achieve higher commissions